The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. And welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I am one of your duo of co-hosts on the 75th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from southwest Turkey. As the sun rises here, whichever time zone you are currently experiencing, hopefully you are relaxing into this show and eager to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I'll soon be joined by Kintia from her wheelhouse in California while Annette Driscoll has chosen to take a short sabbatical. This show is entitled Convenient Lies. We are currently living through a critical period of time in human history, where information is being twisted by hidden hands through mainstream and social media to manipulate mankind to behave in increasingly unnatural ways, which is not only increasingly detrimental to our well-being, but is also removing us from our free will. While there is a clear division growing between those who are aware and those who are not, well, not yet, mindful of what is really going on, I would unfortunately estimate that we are all being manipulated more than most of us realize. As we continue to be bombarded by convenient lies on a daily basis. Tonight, we catch up with one of our friends of the show from New York with a view to cut a section through how it is to live in this quintessential metropolis and once great symbol of liberty. Keith, please play sound excerpt A. But some gov governments and corporations for the first time in history have the power to basically hack human beings. There is a lot of talk about hacking computers, hacking smartphones, hacking bank accounts, but the big story of our era is the ability to hack human beings. And by this I mean that if you have enough data and you have enough computing power, you can understand people better than they understand themselves, mm -hmm. and then you can manipulate them in ways which were previously impossible. Mm -hmm. And in such a situation, the old democratic system stopped functioning. We need to reinvent democracy 
for this new era in which humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. We need to come to terms with the fact that no matter, again, it, this is where philosophy meets computer science and biology. That was the voice of Professor Yuval Harari, well known for his best-selling books about humanity and his various seminars and TED Talks. While he clearly seems allied with the World Economic Forum and the likes of Zuckerberg and Google, I believe we should not ignore these arrogant words that are no longer even being hidden. And if they are no longer being concealed in global lockstep, this surely marks a potential time of change. So where is it all going? If it's not about health, if it's not about money, then it can only be about power and control. Keith, please play excerpt B. Vaccine passport? Yeah, but I need proof of at least 10 booster shots. Where's the... Okay, AIDS vaccine passport. I'm going to need to see an allergy test. Lyme disease. Chicken pox, H1N1, rabies tag, H1N2. All right, proof of the herpes vaccine. And what about the herpes booster? I literally got it like 10 minutes ago. Let's see it. All right, hand, foot, and mouth disease, H1N5, prostate exam. Whooping cough, I'm going to need your Netflix password. HPV. I actually have HPV. I need proof to show solidarity to the HPV community. I'm going to need to see your blockbuster card. Tetanus. Negative test for the black plague. Tetanus booster? I don't have it. I'll give it to you now. Proof of political party. Proof of diversity. Are you serious? We already have two white guys in there, okay? That's our limit. Okay, uh, I'm Jewish. What do you think this is, 2021? You're going to have to be way more oppressed than that to get in here. You got like a 23 me test results? Yes, yes. 50% Ashkenazi Jew. 0.000027 Native American. Why didn't you just tell me that? You got an anti-racist card? All right, now I just got to check your white guilt score. 9.7, wow, not bad, man. Just got to scan you for male toxicity. Okay, quick set of questions. Would you have sex with a trans woman? Yes. And men have babies? Yes. Do all lives matter? Yeah, no. Quote from Brown City to prove you can hang with gay people. Um, yes, queen. I'm sorry? Yes! Yeah, that's better. How many statues have you toppled this month? Nine. You support the police? No. Are all Trump supporters racist? Yes. How many abortions have you paid for? Five. I'm going to need to see your punch card. All right, four more and your tenth one's free. How many people have you canceled this month? Eighteen, nineteen, including my grandmother. Racist? No, she still likes Louis C.K. Even worse. Ever been me too? No. Me three? No. Me four? No. Me seven? Um, Me Mm sixty-nine? I need proof of a black friend. Okay, how many pronouns are there? 92,627. All right, and finally, I need you to recite the full sexuality acronym. Uh, L-G-B-T-Q-I-A-O-N-M-P-Z backslash question mark, greater than sign, less than sign, squiggly mark, a peace sign, at sign, hammer and sickle, poop emoji, and symbol for titanium. All right, put your mask on and show them your receipt. 
you know, I actually lost the receipt, so... How are we supposed to give you your laundry if you don't have the receipt? Well, this is, of course, a fictional and satirical sketch that was shared with me via TikTok this week, entitled Life in a Year from Now. Very amusing. And yet, how accurate could this be? Just take a moment to recall how less ridiculous our world was only 12 months ago and how our old normal already seems a distant dream. The downside of taking the red pill is it means it is no longer possible to see the world through the same rose-tinted lenses which were pulled over our vision from the moment we checked out of our mother to begin our journey into the world. This week, some notable points are the Federal Reserve has recently changed the ruling on tracking our transactions. Until recently, the threshold was $10,000. This has now been reduced to $600. Why? This is surely not about money, as the government has credited and created unspeakable amounts of these paper notes from thin air since the pandemic began. Again, this is about control, micromanaging each and every one of our transactions on anything above 600 bucks. Further, there has been more information revealed about reducing the amount of paper money being printed while expanding the issue of a near-future digital currency. This sounds like another step towards control of not just our spending, but also when and where we may spend our money. MasterCard, for example, another friend of the World Economic Forum, has announced it will issue a new credit card, which will keep a tally on our spending in terms of our carbon and water footprint. Once we pass our set monthly allowance, the card will be declined on all further purchases. This all sounds too much like the propaganda that Aldous Huxley wrote about in A Brave New World. I used to think this novel was a warning to humanity. I now more reluctantly believe it was far more purposeful in actually preparing us all for what the minority's weak-minded puppet leaders have dubbed building back better to create a new world order. This week we saw Biden rambling at the 76th session of the United Nations as if he has been lobotomized. Well, he also pledged to buy half a billion vaxes for underprivileged people around the planet. Funny, I thought the vaxes were not working at home. Is this why he's trying to get rid of them now? And Bojo Johnson was quoting Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy in his speech about the latest climate emergency. What a great buffoon this excuse of a man really is. He would really benefit from making some proper research with some independent scientists rather than big up the minority's agenda. But then again, he's just doing his job. Are some people really taking these clowns seriously? So how do we wake up the others? How much of a big bang do they really need? Was 9-11 not enough? 20 years on, Biden just renewed the national state of emergency for this same event. Is this scandemic not enough? Or do we really now need to endure a climate emergency fueled by manipulated weather and, yes, more fear porn? The minority censorship attempts still continue. Feelers are now beginning to reach out to some of the independent journalists, investigators. Richie Allen 
now carrying some quarter of a million live listeners per show, recently had his PayPal account cancelled without any logical reason. Naturally, he will continue being funded by his listeners via other means. Max Egan and the Ice Age Farmer, both valued and recent guests on the other side of the news, have both been erroneously reported to have passed away, among other fake scandals in attempt to discredit their names. They claim all manner of strange events are occurring in relation to their podcast social media accounts and their means of funding. This is why I repeat on a regular basis, it is essential to devise an actual plan rather than simply just listen to these shows as a form of passive entertainment. We've recently spoken of the global simulation named Cyber Polygon to cut the internet. If you were drawing useful information from this and other podcasts, are you prepared to place your plan into action in potential radio silence? There are always other means of communication, BitChute, Rumble, Telegram, etc., to name a few. These currently seem to stand up against censorship. However, how long can this continue? While the future looks utterly bleak, if we should simply allow the new world order to manifest, I believe the amount of people now waking up is reaching new extraordinary levels in terms of numbers and momentum. People from all walks of life are daring to stand up and stand their ground, not flinch in the face of opposition and speak their truth. Australia is such a hot crucible at the moment. Not only is this country in the Southern Hemisphere therefore greeting the seasons months before many of the rest of its allies, but it is also seemingly being used as an example to demonstrate to the rest of the world what is potentially in store for us all, unless we draw the line and peacefully resist. We recently reported on the UK undertaker John O'Looney, who very clearly spoke out about his very contrary experiences during the pandemic. I'm sure you'll not be surprised to hear he has already been, uh, already had his association with the UK Funeral Director Society revoked. However, in making his brave move, uh, which was so damaging for his career, to speak the truth, he is at the same time waking up vast numbers of people along the way. His interview with Max Egan has already reached one million views in the last nine days, and that's just on one platform. You may like to hear his eight-minute follow-up interview in tonight's links. And there is another brave individual, Keith, please play sound excerpt C. What's going on? And that's when I found out that on January the 20th, roughly, the CDC guidelines recommended that we roll the PCR cycling from the high 30s to 28, like it was originally designed to do. And then it hit me. And I lost sleep over it. I was having chest pain over it. And I, it woke me up in the middle of the night, like hit me hard. I could not sleep. I tossed and current because my first week or two there, I didn't do it. I didn't lead them to the gate, but I'm the guy that euthanized people. They call it comfort care. But when you get to the point you can't take high flow off, you get so upset, you ain't seen your family except maybe an iPad in weeks, and you're never going to come off the high flow. And the doctor says, you've done your best. You've done your best. But this is going to be it for you. And so the patients get all teary-eyed and upset 
and they call in the palliative team, and they all hold their hand and cry, and they said, but we can keep you comfortable. Here comes Albert. He's got the morphine and Ativan, and I load them up and take off the high flow, and they gasp themselves to death. And I'm the guy that's pushing the button, like in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. No, I didn't lead them there. And honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I just do what I'm told. It's not my fault. But after January the 20th and then on into February 1st or so, I saw what change in the PCR did on my floor. And then I saw what I had not done for my COVID patients. And then I was also greatly encouraged, don't move them unless their sats are above 90. Don't move them. I was like, but, but I've always been told to get them up and get them going. No, wait till their sats are high 90s to move them. I'm like, no, they can tolerate a minute or two down in the low 80s. Get them up, make them move, make them set up, and then they will learn to breathe deeper and we can wean them off the oxygen. No, their focus was put them on more oxygen. Let them lay in a bed. I said, okay. Then I realized where our mistake is. Yes, early treatments, the HCQ, the ivermectin, real smart. Man, give them at least Tamiflu. But when the PCR cycling changed, I'm telling you, it was a big change on my floor. This is the voice of a COVID nurse shared by C-SPAN from a recent hearing from the Subcommittee of Medical Affairs. I need not add any words to this, except I believe this simply validates the story we highlighted in one of our previous shows entitled Hotel California, which outlined the intentional use of end-of-life drugs such as morphine and midazolam in UK care homes to drive up alleged COVID deaths. It seems this story confirms a similar strategy is also in play on the other side of the Atlantic. And I hope also encourages many more to share their truth. I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding this essential waking process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofthenews.com there you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and download them uh, sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last week, we've been inundated as ever, by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news to discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our special guest, Jill Benzer. Good evening, Kintia. What events have caught your eye this week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Our dear friend, Darlene Undy, who is a roaming Canadian reporter, this past weekend on the 18th was uh, one of the speakers, a featured speaker at the Worldwide Rally for Freedom. I am so glad I know her. She is a brave soul and she is just out there educating and empowering Canadians to make a stand for freedom. So I'm Really delighted to report that. You'll see a link to her event down in my links. The next thing I'd like to bring up is a powerful statement by an outraged mother to the Vandalia, Illinois school system. Which right here says, 
universal masking, universal vaccine coming. Right here, this is the rules you're following, and I have the letters to show it. I'd also like to inform you that I am aware that the state of Illinois received five billion, fifty-four million, nine hundred and eighty-eight thousand and fifty-four dollars for their COVID-related. Right here, this, this, this here, this here. County or this year school system, just the Vandalia school system, for complete full compliance gets five million seven hundred and fifty dollars six hundred and four. I'm sorry, seven hundred fifty thousand six hundred and forty-seven dollars. And they said it's three thousand nine hundred forty-six dollars and ninety-one cents per student. That same CDC paperwork right here states all students have access to learning all students not just the disabled who say they can't wear a mask or not just the ones who are disenfranchised but all students are entitled to it who have common sense and then the parents who have the common sense to do their own medical research and say no i'm not going to do that to my kid that's not healthy for him we've got evidence right here it's not it's not healthy we don't want to do that and they've learned that the masks are very dangerous to them, especially children. We're told to leave school or comply. This has happened to my family, so don't tell me that it doesn't. No middle ground, no distance learning with computers, told to turn laptops back in. You can't have it if you're not rolled, you can't have it. But you can't be rolled because you're not gonna be at school. You miss another day, truancy's coming after you. You put us in a corner and you're getting paid to mask our children. So the question I have, the second question, which obviously I've just proved to you that number one is the answer is yes. Number two, who got the money and what'd you do with it? I just walked up a sidewalk out here that's not even swept. You got $5,750,000 and some odd more dollars. What did you do with it and which pocket is it in? Because right now, this isn't happening. So I got one last statement for you before I go. The number code of the United States of America says the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. Hiding $5,750,000 from us and then telling us that you're, you're masking our children for their health is unconscionable. Again, I have just one little final statement here. Just give me one second. You are violating the U.S. Constitution of the United States. I don't care what mandate the state of Illinois gives. You are violating the rights of these children, the rights of these parents, and your own conscience. If you just pledge to that flag, you are standing against it when you do this masking, this universal stuff to get that money. I'd rather see this school in ashes than to see you sit there with your pockets full while you suffocate our children with diapers on their faces. Not only that, but I have seen these children say to me, to my face, that they're letting us wear it on our chin now. We just have to wear it on our chin, but we gotta put it on when they're So you're teaching them to lie on top of deceiving them into doing something. 
We are sovereign citizens of the United States of America, and I stand with that flag and the Constitution and the Nuremberg Code that goes with it. You have no power. You have no power to usurp the rights of our children or the authority that we have over our children. And because they're not old enough to speak for themselves, we stand and speak for them. We, the people, have had enough. You are on notice. You will all be gone if you don't change your ways right now. Uh, With that, I yield. So there you have an example of what we all could be doing in our school boards. She nailed it. Wow, did she nail it. As a parent myself, I'm pretty outraged about that, and I applaud her for her articulate way that she's presented it and all the legal research that she's done. And we need more parents to stand up in school boards like that. Imagine that school system is getting $5 billion. Fifty-four million nine hundred eighty-eight thousand and fifty-four dollars to push the mandates on the school children. The other thing that's been high on my radar and troubling me is this subtle takedown of our country, step by step, from within. How do you take down your enemy without firing a shot? You get them to fight among each other. You divide and conquer. And you cause the people in that country, you get them to take each other out from within. And that's exactly what's been happening. So let's have a listen to Congresswoman Maxine Waters as she describes what's going on at the border followed by Herschel Walker, a Republican Georgia Senate candidate, former NFL player, and winner of the Heisman Trophy. I'm not just unhappy with the Cowboys who were running down Haitians and using their reins to whip them. I'm happy with the administration. What we witness takes us back hundreds of years. What we witnessed was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. Cowboys with their reins again, whipping black people, Haitians. Well, have you noticed that everything got to be come down to race? Why we always want to bring everything down to race? You know, what is happening is people are crossing the border, people coming into the border illegally. And that's one thing that I said early on. We got to first decide whether we want to have border control. There are rules to get into this get into this country. And then I think we need to go to the people that has authority and see what is really going on, not just look at a, a sound bite or not just take a sound bite. And I think she was correct in the blame this administration because they are to blame because they don't want to get down there and do anything about it. Well, don't start looking at one sound bite to make yourself look good on TV. Why are you not down there, not just for an hour, mm-hmm. but for a little bit of time to see what's really going on and not bring race? Let's quit this separation until we can bring unity, which is what I want to do, bring unity into this country. We're going to have these problems. So that's the reason I said elect people that are talking about unity, elect people that are talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about Georgia. Elect people that's talking about representing what you go to office to do, not not just have sound bites, not just to look good, but to go down there to do work. So there you have it. 
the contrast between Maxine Waters and Herschel Walker. Notice the difference in their two comments. So here you have two leaders of color, one that is misrepresenting the fact she's talking about these immigrants, illegal immigrants being whipped when in fact the video shows they were horsemen and they were holding their reins. And the photographer who was filming them said at no point did they whip the immigrants with their reins. It was just a photo setup that there was no whipping going on. He didn't even have a whip. And now that news story has gone out unchecked. And it's unlikely that those who want to believe it will bother to check. They will just go around and propagate the same lie, the same disinformation. You have a situation where you've got some, quote, leaders, I could hardly call her a leader, who are misrepresenting the facts to inflame the public, to turn us against each other. And I applaud Herschel Walker for his balanced view to put this game of race aside. We are a people together. And then you want to look at, well, so why are they doing this? What is their agenda? So, Keith, would you please play the third sound file I sent you? This is Biden. Unrelenting stream of immigration. Nonstop. Nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017 will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. Absolute minority. Fewer than 50 percent of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. Imagine now that Biden said that in 2015. Of course, Hillary didn't get in. Trump got in. But now that Biden's in, he's following through with that plan. And what is the plan? It's not really for the people of color. It's to bring in people who are uneducated that they can manipulate. It's to turn over the balance of power from the people who actually live here to illegal immigrants. And on top of this, the way they're treating them there are somewhere between 15 to 18,000 illegal immigrants there with, get this, 24 porta potties. 24 porta potties for that many people. They are short on food and they're escaping. There are even men reported bringing in, quote, young child brides. Yes, sure. We know what that's all about. And not only that, the administration is saying that they will not be required to be vaccinated. So you're mandating that all our people should be vaccinated, but the illegal immigrants that are coming in don't need to be vaccinated. Does that make any sense at all? I mean, how can we not see this? How can we not see that this is a ploy to change the demographics of our country, to dismantle our culture, to turn us against each other. Well, I know they're trying, but I ultimately believe in the spirit of humanity. 
And I know that this is going to backfire on them because there are good people coming across the border. But, you know, it's really something how they're doing this. I'm I'm really shocked. The sad thing is that these are not really Haitian immigrants in that pure sense. They're not escaping any violence. They've been living in South America for quite a while. Unlike the Christians in Nigeria who are suffering persecution, and if there was a case to bring in immigrants, they certainly qualify. Today I was witnessing the audit report from Maricopa County in Arizona, the Senate there. I watched the live stream and they meticulously laid out in detail how they were conducting the audit, the parameters. It started out with Dr. Shiva, who invented email and has credentials a mile long. And I was fascinated with the detail of how they were conducting the audit. And in spite of that, <laughs> this is amazing. So the audit is showing, you know, like 17,000 duplicate ballots, which is 1.5 times what Biden won by. It's showing ballots that are unsigned. It's showing ballots that are scribbled, fake, fake ballots. And I'm watching all this and I'm saying, oh, it finally, the truth is going to come out. And then I look on the news. I was looking for a video of the replay of the live one. And there, top of the links, it says, Arizona audit confirms that Biden won. And I'm going, what? There you go. The media controlled by the cabal does not, does not want us to know the truth. So the last thing I want to leave you with is that in my links, you're going to find a report from the Supreme Court. And I'm not sure that I totally understand it. I've seen two views on it. But basically what it's saying is if your DNA has been altered, then you won't be eligible for the rights of a citizen. That the corporation that altered your DNA owns the ones that they've altered the DNA. That's what is being said now. You know, people are going over this document. What will really be the impact? But it does talk about the altered DNA. So that's a big question. Are they going to now consider us transhumans, those who have been vaccinated? Will they be owned by these corporations? What's going to happen with this law? This is a Supreme Court ruling. I couldn't believe it. I saw it on a video and I thought, oh, the guy must be making this up. Can't be true. And he spoke the URL and I diligently stopped it moment by moment to type in every little letter of that long URL. And I got there and I found the exact document on the Supreme Court.gov site. So, Take a look at it. Read it for yourselves. And now I'm going to give us a little moment here to go to break. And we shall return to greet our wonderful and my dear friend, Jill Benzer.
One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception at a, on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core and they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not depositor money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Anetta, and Kinthia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. to the other side of the news. Oh, wow. What a roll. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So our show tonight is called Convenient Lies, and I'm really excited to bring on a dear friend, Jill Benzer. She's a friend of all of us on the show. She's uh, oftentimes sent us great links and uh, she's a dear friend of Robert Morningstar, and we've had lots of great conversations and she is the sweetest soul you'll ever meet <laughs> there's no doubt about it when you hear her, you'll know what i mean jill benzer is a native new yorker born raised and residing all of these decades since in manhattan new york city for more than 30 years she has been self-employed as a personal assistant to the elderly as a young adult, she began the journey of learning Tai Chi, which continues to this day. Family, friends, neighborhood, and cultural institutions have been at the center of her life and endeavors. Early in adult life, a quest evolved to discover the natural world and natural history of New York City. 
which eventually led to a BS degree in biodiversity studies from the CUNY Graduate Center. Most importantly, the ability to live with an ever-deepening awareness of, connection to, and participation in the care for education about the natural heritage of all the five boroughs has evolved. She has become a citizen, naturalist, botanist, and urban parks explorer. She has a special dedication to New York City and appreciation for its people. She put in her bio thanks to the other side of the news. Well, we thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to welcome you. Welcome, Jill. Thank you so much, Kinthea, for this time <laughs> together. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I have to say that you just brighten my day. When I talk to you, I feel really, really good. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. And I'm curious to hear what's going on for you there in New York City. Oh, yes. Well, it has really been quite a journey here in our beloved city. And I would you like me to start with the present or with the beginning of COVID? Or where well, would you like to? Well, actually... Um, Let's start with the heart of the people, how you are, because I see here that you have cared for the elderly. Let's start with how you are engaged with communities, because that will give us the background for everything that will follow. Oh, okay. Yes, well, I have been raised in Manhattan, and unlike some New Yorkers that do spend a lot of their time in a very, even within one block, because in New York, a block and a small range of blocks can be a whole world of its own. <laughs> so, you know, many people uh, don't particularly orient themselves to all the five boroughs, but I have tried to do that in my life through all the endeavors you just mentioned. And so I have been able, particularly at the moment, to have uh, awareness of all the things people have been experiencing in recent times. And I find it, I would love to share with you that New York has undergone a profound change that many people are entirely unaware of. And I, I don't understand exactly how this could be possible, but it's, it has really happened. So in my in the recent times, beginning in the end at the end of 2017, we many of us received a notice from Con Edison saying that we would that upgrade our meters would be upgraded. And there was no questioning about it. Uh, some I perhaps, but it was not presented in a way that there would be any questions needed. And of course, there was no leadership that I'm aware of uh, from our media or our, our elected officials in terms of explaining that there was a big change occurring and would we like to have a societal discussion about it or there was nothing like that. So it turned out that 
smart meters were be what the process was a beginning in the city of installing them by Con Edison. So uh, sure enough, before my own eyes, I saw this occur and they worked very quickly and rapidly. Can you imagine all the dwellings in New York City, all the apartment buildings and tenements, everything? This project was undertaken apparently with the promise of stimulus money, uh, that they large, enormous amounts of stimulus money that they would receive if they got it done in a certain period of time. And sure enough, little by little, before my own eyes, I saw it happen building after building, borough after borough. And this was followed by the installation of 5G, also mm -hmm. gradually in the city, again, almost no discussion of it. And first it was on the bridges and tunnels, and then suddenly it was throughout the city. And you, one of your marvelous guests, um, Mark Steele, explained also the lampposts. So remarkably, as part of this process, all the lampposts in our city have been changed. Mm -hmm. And not only have they been changed uh, in more than one way, besides what you might think, in it's the light, the actual light that comes out of them is an LED light that your guest did describe. And let alone what it may be capable of doing, that light is so glaring and so bright that it is, it is difficult for a sensitive person to be able to walk at night now. Mm. Totally not, changes the feeling of the city, doesn't it? Oh, completely. So not only is the light very glaring, and we have many lamp lights on every block, we also, it is also that they covered the light with a grid pattern of some kind. So the light is actually broken up into little grid patterns on the street. Mm. And there is a shadow, the shadow is in a grid pattern. And if there's a wind, that grid pattern moves and it kind of creates a, a, a feeling like a, it's almost a seasick feeling. Oh, goodness. You're sensitive, <laughs> you know. Right. And then on top of every lamppost is a little gadget of some kind as well, which uh, your guest has shed light on what that might be. Uh, so in the past two and a half years, without any discussion that I'm aware of, except among groups, small groups that follow these things uh, in terms of the uh, media, as I mentioned, or any kind of public forums, they weren't held. And even though people tried to have that discussion uh, come forth. So in the past recent history, New York has been totally transformed and many people 
are completely unaware. So we have become um, completely enmeshed in this microwave system between the smart meters and the 5G and these lights, which we, we can only begin to understand what they're actually capable of doing. But the whole cherished city that we know is is covered with this new system and it is very, very, very uh, significant change that has gone unnoticed. So I would like to just describe that because I have not heard any discussion of it, any reporting of it. And Please. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so grateful to be able to share it with you. Of course, uh, as from what I understand, the vaccine came along as well as part of all of this. And in my opinion, it is connected. So uh, the reason, yes. I'm just imagining what it would be like to walk down the streets. I, I was there in New York, oh, years ago in my youth. And, and there was something very exciting and even kind of romantic about it. And then I... It was a feeling of intimacy, even though it was a large city. And now, as I imagine those glaring lights, it would be like walking in some prison or something. Very cold and off-putting. Oh, yes. It, it's it's actually difficult to go out at night. When, and you're so right. The, of course, New York is the city that never sleeps. And one in certain areas, one can feel very safe walking at night, and it's beautiful to do so. Uh, not all areas, but uh, some areas do have that ability. So uh, that's one thing. Despite all this, you know, the people have continued to be wonderful, as always, even though we are part of all this and we are part of all the propaganda in terms of the uh, things you just so wonderfully played in terms of the uh, efforts to divide us. New Yorkers have the advantage, at least in many parts, they have the advantage of interacting on a daily basis with every possible uh, people kind of person. And of course, Racism does not thrive when there's uh, experience of one another. So uh, it cannot uh, take hold in the heart when you love your neighbors and you love your the people in the stores and the people in your work and they're all kind of people. Uh, those campaigns are not too effective. So uh, that is wonderful. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering, Timothy, did you want to jump in here? I, w I was going to pose a question. Yes, I was. Good evening, Jill. Good And welcome. Thanks. Yeah, I, I remember in the earlier parts of last year when I was, um, I spent a few months in, in Florida uh, during sort of the COVID lockdown times. And I remember we, we, we called you and also Robert a few times uh, during that that period. And I remember one conversation we had, a. I was talking with Robert and in the background, he said, listen to this. And it was at a certain time of the day afternoon, I think it was or early evening. 
And he said, listen to this. And this was like uh, in, in the neighborhood, there were, I guess, hundreds of people, or maybe thousands of people banging pots and pans out of the window during the lockdown. And that really gave me like a sense of sort of community in, in a huge metropolis. I was down in Florida. There was no banging of pans. Um, how I was just wanting to sort of ask you about the, the feeling of community in such a large city. Can can you share any feelings about how that was when you were there? Oh yes, uh, it it is it's been marvelous because as you know, New York is composed of of a wide range of people, but a great many of them are ordinary people and are um, very happy with the idea of being free to be you and me. Uh, it's much easier in New York City than perhaps other some other places. Individuality is accepted. You can do almost anything without people even, <laughs> even taking notice of it as you're walking in the street or so. So people, remarkable number of people had instruments in their homes or something to bang and or or blow and throughout the lockdown uh, we uh, we did this and it was marvelous experience because it, you could be in the street and all of a sudden all around you from all the windows you would hear this and clapping and and sh shouting some people even played songs out their windows some people sang opera real opera you know f accomplished opera singers from so window to window that's amazing <laughs> Oh, yes. And not only that, some people played piano and some of these were incredibly talented uh, <laughs> renditions and of different pieces. So it was marvelous. But actually, it continues to this day in mm. our little, in our little section here because uh, a neighbor uh, across the way uh, took a liking to uh, a call, uh, a Tarzan call that Robert decided to do. And <laughs> <laughs> so, of all things, uh, this neighbor uh, answered <laughs> answered the call <laughs> with his own version of the piece. And actually, uh, it's difficult to imitate Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan call. It's quite challenging, <laughs> but Robert uh, has dedicate himself to studying it. And then this neighbor uh, did quite well his, himself. So after that, uh, we can, we evolved a kind of um, lovely rhythmic and uh, instrumental section. And we improvised together for exactly five minutes. And uh, uh, it is absolutely remarkable how uplifting it is for us to do this and uh, it is only five minutes but it seems to just fill our hearts with happiness and inspiration and camaraderie and makes such a difference uh, for us and for the people around mm. so it's just a delightful practice that we have continued every day at seven because it's kind of a, a uplifting practice for our mm -hmm. humanity <laughs> so that sounds sounds a lot of fun as well yes. uh, jill i was wondering that you just talking about these um lampposts with uh you know 
LED light, and we've already previously talked about how when they pulsate, they have the possibility to affect the behavior of people. Yeah. Um, not to mention the 5G, or it, it doesn't even need to be 5G, it can be also 4G or whatever as well. I mean, in, in Turkey where I am, they have this thing called 4.5G, oh. uh, which which they asked uh, Ronaldo, the football player, to advertise some years ago. And uh, anyway, but we, we're stuck on 4.5G for some reason here. Um, what I'm wondering is, have you seen any differences in the sort of behavioral patterns with New Yorkers before and after the installation of these devices? Yes. Well, it's very interesting, of course, because uh, there is a man, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, his name is David Amram, and he's um, uh, he was one of the originators of the world music idea, and he's uh, a remarkable person, a kind of... Uh, extraordinary composer and uh, his life has touched the history of our cultural heritage of music in the past uh, several decades so he's just a marvelous person to know about if you are not aware of him but he he once said that new yorkers are fortunate because no matter what is happening in the world often we have find a way to answer that um, that challenge. We, we have a variety of different resources, the people and the places and much more that enables us to, uh, to rise to this occasion. So even though this terrible thing is going on and even though half, as I understand, the population of the city has received the vaccine. Um, it is extraordinary just going around, uh, riding the subway, which I do, and uh, it, walking on the streets and talking with people. And there has been not, uh, not an over a burden yet at this point. I hope it continues somehow. But up to this point, while there are changes, I have experienced, of course, a great deal regarding the vaccine and people I've lost, dear friends I've lost, and uh, uh, the issues with people not feeling well from it. Uh, it's not an easy situation at all. But um, nevertheless, um, in general, uh, there has been a definite uh, sequence in terms of people's response since the beginning of the lockdown, the evolution of their response. And for the most part, throughout all the different evolutions, um, there has been a lot to be uh, uplifted by. And I know we're getting to a break, but when we come back, I can tell you about, uh, or perhaps I have time now, to tell you about uh, one particular community in Brooklyn. Jill, we can go to break or we, we can do it afterwards, whichever you feel most comfortable doing. If you're on a roll, please continue. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you that, for example, uh, many people are not aware that in some very poor areas of, in Brooklyn, when the COVID lockdown started, they actually had food shortages. They did not have food, enough food. Uh, trucks were not delivering. Uh, 
everything was closed up. There were a lot of problems. And as far as I have not seen any story on this so far. Not only that, um, the remarkable part of the story is that in Brooklyn, there are a lot of community gardens. And this has been an organic movement of the people uh, there. And those community gardeners, I want to give a special mention to a woman named Karen Washington, who has been at the she has been part of the very beginning of this community garden movement, an urban farm movement. So she, uh, she and others organized, and they actually found a way, even in March, they found a way to share enough knowledge and enough resources and enough actual food with with people in their community that they reversed the actual hunger that was occurring and her her in her presentation on this at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden she had obviously turned this horrible challenge into something so good in terms of a victory of humanity that she was filled with a, you know, good feeling, and as she was speaking, clearly the burden had been totally transformed by their community connections and all the good work they've been doing for years. So this is just one example of uh, the way that uh, all the good things that have been occurring, even with this tremendous uh, change we're all undergoing and all the concerns that we have. Jill, thank you very much for a very heartening, positive answer. After the break, I'd like to drill down a little bit deeper into what is actually going on uh, during the COVID. What are the actual issues on a sort of a day-to-day basis? Uh, but let's go for a break. Uh, you're listening to the other side of the news. This show is entitled Convenient Lies. And our special guest is Jill Benzia. As you continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities. And your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, Renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed, into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you. 
so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed? Or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us, accept our mess, and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer, and I was on the other side of the news, and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and, and what we're heading toward. I really recommend listening in and, and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond beyond the box. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our show tonight is Convenient Lies, and our wonderful guest is Jill Benzer. And Timothy, you were on a roll with Jill, so take it away and I'll come in afterwards. Thank you. Jill, I appreciate your uh, your answer just now. It's, it's very hard thing to hear, as I say. May I ask if we drill down a little bit more to... What is it actually like to be with feet on the ground in New York through this this uh, pandemic? It, it's we hear so many things on mainstream media, uh, and yet quite often, invariably, most of the time, it's it's very different in reality. We we heard that New York was a, a center for um, COVID cases. We, we can understand why, but. From the sound of what you're saying, you you seem to have lost, unfortunately, a number of people around you. Uh, do you feel comfortable to to talk about that, or or should we sort of generalize more and make it less personal? But I'm just curious to know about the actual toll of living in New York under this under this pandemic. Can you share anything? Oh yes. Well, uh, actually, uh, thankfully, I I did not know personally people who died of COVID, though I know, I did know people working in the hospitals, and they told me firsthand, and including a reporter that I know, told me firsthand what uh, was happening regarding the hospitals. Uh, but I have lost um, and uh, uh, several people to the vaccine, and um, so that's a bit of a different subject, but um, from the beginning here in the city, uh, there was definitely, it was definitely unprecedented in that the city did close down almost entirely uh, for three weeks when it was first announced for March 13th to close down. And that really was unusual because it, every there was just so much of lights out of all the stores. And for those who have not been in Manhattan, or um, there are more residential areas of the city, but uh, Manhattan, all the lower levels of the buildings are stores, and many are 
at least they were independent businesses. Now there are more chain stores, but um, still, even the chain stores are, uh, you know, the people who work there and it's, it can still have a good uh, relationship with the customers. So it was all closed down and it was empty on the subway. I was on the subway, but it was empty except for a few people that were mostly homeless. So it was very, very quiet. And then it did, after the three weeks, the announcement was made, the three weeks is over. So almost immediately, people did start to come out more. And But from the beginning, I do want to tell you that Central Park, one day I was listening to a news program that I generally do find has valuable aspects to it. But on this program, a uh, mainstream news program, I heard them say, Central Park is deserted, absolutely deserted. And it just happened that I had been in the park that day, uh, that very day, and I it, I was in, in, had in a completely different experience. People were out talking, and this was early on when people were still very afraid of the COVID. So from the beginning, actually, Central Park has been just a haven for everyone to almost feel normal, even from the first moments of the most intense fear. So I would like to report that. And I know that um, I go there very often, so I can assure you of that. And uh, you may know that the history of Central Park was, it began after the Civil War and was started by Frederick, uh, the two people most known for the efforts of making the park were Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Fox. So the park was actually made as, a, as an effort to build the new country, uh, America. And it was made with the hope that this would be the people's park. It would be a place for ever, where people could talk together, interact, and all kinds of people would be welcome and would have a great resource for rejuvenation and connection to nature. But this park had been terribly neglected for decades. And then, of all things, two women had a dream several decades ago to restore the park and now it has been 40 or more years and they have created the most beautiful renewal and revival of the park. So it has been completely essential to everyone, but Olmsted and Vox would be so gratified to know all the social value that it has had over all this time. During 9-11, it was the same thing. During the pandemic, people have received such strength there but most of all they have they retained a connection to norm to to what their life used to be like before all this started and that has continued to this day jill so, when, yes. when when people visit the park it sounds like a sort of a local oasis oh uh, yeah uh, uh, do you find that people are uh, still very cautious. Are they are they walking around with with masks on, or are they sort of social distancing, or doing this sort of you know chicken dance like elbow to elbow greeting thing? Um, or are they 
are they are they beyond that now? Are they they just sort of saying, well, you know, this COVID thing is just suspicious on all all corners? What's the temperature about COVID? I mean, you, you say you, you lost, you, you talked to people in hospitals, and you understood what was happening there. People were losing their lives there. But what do you think that was COVID, or was it sort of, um, you know, the death by ventilator or or you've also mentioned that you've you've heard of people who have or you've lost friends people around you who have taken the vaccine yeah. is it possible to be i don't wish to be personal but is, is it possible to be more specific about if covid is a thing if if, if it's something which you um see as, as an actual disease or do you see it as, as something which is uh, perhaps been overinflated in in terms of the media and and the government and the CDC and so on and so on. Where do you stand on on your position with with COVID? Oh yeah, well of course uh, that could be like a five hour discussion. But um, uh, basically, uh, because I did know uh, people in the hospitals and I did know uh, reporters, uh, I'm aware that uh, that. There was a period where the hospitals were flooded, uh, at least certain ones, with uh, a large number of people having difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. And it was not exactly normal. So it was worse, perhaps, than, than it was definitely real and it was definitely not normal. Yes. So, uh, so how that occurred, I have my own um my own theories about and in in and i don't know why this hasn't been focused on but uh, there was a congressional testimony uh, in the su- uh, beginning of the summertime uh, by a dr stephen quay and he only spoke for five minutes but in my opinion what he said was was the uh solve the case you know, of COVID and <laughs> to a great extent, but of course it wasn't even noted in the anywhere. But um, basically, as you've mentioned on this program, uh, the virus has not been isolated. It has definitely not been isolated and the, the top authorities will tell you that it has not been isolated. They mention this on even on mainstream news now and then. And as you know, this has led to some victories in corridor for freedom and so on. But anyhow, uh, it definitely has not been isolated. However, they do have an ability. So they, that means they do not have it in a petri dish, in a petri dish anywhere. Uh, and it is very difficult to isolate viruses in a in a petri dish, especially. But they were able to do it with HIV. Eventually, it does take time. But it, it, it can be done, it seems. However, they make different excuses why they haven't been able to do it this time, that it's changing and that it's very difficult and they didn't have time and all that kind of thing. However, uh, the fact remains it has not been isolated. If it hasn't been isolated, then it does not fulfill something called conscious postulates. Have, Indeed. Think, you know, yes. That is the way that, that it's determined that a certain agent causes something that was agreed upon by scientists uh, everywhere or 
a lot of scientists have agreed that that's the system to use for determining that a certain um, agent is causing a disease. So that none of that has been proven. But uh, they have sequenced the, uh, a part of a genome related to COVID, and that genome has shown very odd things. So this Dr. Stephen Quay noticed that anyone who is aware of it notices that it is uh, that there was a spike protein attached by a certain mechanism uh, to uh, SARS-CoV-2 and other things. So anyhow, it's my opinion that um, in some form or other, uh, either with this method or with uh, other methods of more energetic uh, attacks and so on, that people were affected uh, at first by something unusual. And after that, um, it, it may have uh, changed. Now they say that we, you know, so and it seems pretty clear that this was something manufactured and um, similar to Lyme's disease, it may be with us now. They mentioned this the other day on mainstream uh, announcement of the CDC and so on. Mm -hmm. Organization. So, so yeah. Jill, yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned about the 5G coming in and the lampposts. Do you think that possibly there's a correlation between that and what you were seeing when COVID was appearing? Because I know I've heard reports that it's the same symptoms. Radiation poisoning gives the same symptoms. Oh, yes. And also, apparently, there have been several confirmations of, of uh, this idea. It's very difficult to get to this information, but it does seem very possible that there's a lot of graphene oxide involved in all this, which also creates uh, the similar symptoms, nanographene oxide. So between, uh, between the bio... Uh, possible bio uh, attacks, uh, bioweaponry attacks, graphene oxide attack, or, you know, energetic attacks, we're under a great deal of challenges uh, now, tr tremendous challenges for our health. So uh, when you mention the graphene oxide, is that what they're getting through the, through the jab or some other way? Okay. Now, this is very important part. Uh, I do not no, but uh, the, uh, if this is correct, but some of the masks that people uh, that were manufactured seem to have been contaminated, and uh, part of what is in them is called hydrogel, and this hydrogel contains uh, graphene oxide as well as um, uh, other agents that can cause um, the same symptoms. In addition to this, uh, as Timothy mentioned some time ago, uh, they have EO ethylene oxide, which is a preservative that is a top carcinogen, a medical equipment. Um, and uh, just wearing the manufactured masks alone uh, is dangerous because the, the um, fibers that are made of even without any contamination of these other very unusual and uh, dangerous substances, those uh, particles, uh, those fibers can also um, get into your lungs. So 
it's not uh, it's very concerning to me that as soon as the pandemic was declared people were told to put on the masks and then these masks were uh, distributed to all around the world so in addition to all the other problems i think um, very few people analyze the mask under a microscope in the proper way. And uh, we know about the PCR test as well. So unfortunately, I think that once the pandemic was declared, it is possible that a lot of disease and ill health was spread uh, by means of these, those two items, those two, uh, the PCR test as well as the masks. Uh, as well, of course, it's air. It's an airborne um, SARS is an airborne uh, a contaminant, uh, a virus, and it it seems that there were other things attached to it as well that were airborne. So uh, a lot of things uh, were at play, all to the detriment of of the health of the people, and only those who were able to take really good care of their health or uh, were able to um, make it through and a lot of people thank goodness did and and we've all been learning and practicing more trying our best to to preserve our health under this uh, situation but uh, so I do believe it it was something real. Of course, the numbers were inflated by tremendously by different means, several different means. So uh, that was that's a whole other story. There's so many aspects to this, including having people having been locked up, people doctors being told not to develop protocols for their patients, uh, doctors. Uh, patients being told, people being told to stay at home until they couldn't breathe and then come into the hospital. Then when they were in the hospital, they were not given uh, the proper treatment. Some of them were given, uh, it's been uh, coming out now, perhaps this is true, that they were uh, told to be given uh, the, the medicine that was told which was remdesivir and that one uh, apparently causes severe kidney failure, very short order, like maybe within three days it can cause kidney failure. So uh, it does seem that um, everything was oriented towards people suffering and people dying. It sounds like a wicked web. Oh, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because when I look at all the things that you've itemized here, from the 5G, the lampposts, the the uh, graphene oxide in the mask, the rendezivir, the ventilators, the lock you in, uh, no fresh air, no bright sunlight. It, it's it's like, you know, they are, when you see a fisherman go out to catch lots of fish and they cast the net and then they start pulling in that net, it's like they had all these tentacles and they start pulling them in, pulling them in. So, you know, that's rather terrifying. And I have to say that I am really inspired by individuals such as yourself and others who found ways to to rise above it, including the, the Tarzan call yeah. <laughs> to lift the spirits. I mean, oh, you. 
<laughs> have Robert do it on there. I'm just yeah, making him laugh. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. But you know, with the help of our our parks and our people, you know, all the people and uh, many in the uh, people did help one another a lot, and uh, there was a lot of change that occurred in the city. Um, pe many people did leave the city. Many many people did actually leave. So uh, that's another story, maybe not being told, it's told a little, but what's not being told is that people came uh, because rents came down for the first time in years and many young people who uh, had never been able, had not been able to afford being in the city started to be able to come. So people, so we've received a huge influx of young people that are working um, and they're so excited to be here that it's another thing that it's there. I don't think they're aware of anything that I've just mentioned, but they're um, they're their incitement is kind of refreshing. So it would be ideal if they were aware and they were also um, still finding ways to <laughs> be uplifted, but uh, at least they are bringing a special excitement to the city. And you may have heard that there was an order put that you couldn't work, uh, go in restaurants, you know, um, it's only very few people at a time. So now, uh, Many people all over the city actually built built outdoor extensions to their restaurants, and some of these are are very luxurious in more wealthy areas and poorer areas did it as well, but not always up to code, but they still did it and they put so there's a lot of fresh lumber and they put it in the streets in some places where cars would be, where cars would be parked. So all over the city, we have these outdoor structures, which they put a lot of effort into making. They've often brought plants to put and make a boundary and seats and everything. And so this has now become a feature of the city. It is, it's still lasting because some of the... Um, unvaccinated people are apparently, as I understand so far, allowed to eat in outdoor parts of the restaurants. Uh, that's a whole other story, Dr. Mm -hmm. Mr. de Blasio's decree, uh, mm -hmm. recent decree. But um, anyhow, um, yeah, so this has <laughs> also taken hold in the streets. Uh, you and know that in France, in France, their protest to that is that they're sitting down and having picnics in front of these restaurants where they can't go in. And yeah. they're having picnics out on the sidewalk and in the streets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, here in the city, you know, it's already happened because of the original problems uh, with so, not people in the restaurants. Yes. Yeah, so, dear one, we are at break. So you're listening to the other side of the news. And we're having a delightful conversation with Jill Benzer. Uh, the show is called Convenient Lies, and we shall return.
an article I wrote a couple of weeks ago that says, am I being selfish? And I said, absolutely, but I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children. I see the loss of rights and freedoms. I've lived long enough to know what's happened here, and I cannot stand back and simply comply. I'm going to resist those measures with everything that I have, uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, legally. I cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. This is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. To me, the masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. This is Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthia, Timothy, and Aneta and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. And welcome back. You're listening to Timothy Saunders with Kintia, and our special guest this evening is Jill Benzia. And our show is entitled Convenient Lies. Now, based on some reliable information, uh, the vaccine, if people are given a vaccine and if they have a uh, an adverse reaction or worse, within two weeks of having the second jab, they are not recorded as uh, having a problem. Um, they're not even recorded as a COVID death. And yet, on the other side, if people are given PCR, I will not really call it a test, but a lot of people do. But if people are given a, TCR, a PCR, then vaxxed patients are measured with 28 cycles. And unvaxxed patients are measured with 38 plus cycles. So even today, uh, the numbers are loaded, the dice are loaded against us. Um, it seems that the you know, people are hell-bent on, on keeping the numbers up when it suits them and also keeping the numbers down when it suits them as well. So based on that, then we have something in New York, I believe, Jill, called the, is it the Excelsior uh, Passport? Yes. Uh, 
is that something which is really being rolled out? Is that is that something which is uh, you know affecting people from a day to day walk through life? Yes. So that brings us to this was quite recent, and uh, it has been. Clearly, it is occurring around the world, this vaccine passport idea, as well as the mandates. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, our mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, announced it um, early, early on in August. August 3rd, I believe, was the first announcement. And it was remarkable. Like two days later, I tried to find it on the internet so I could hear myself what he had said and what he had described was going to be the policy in New York City. And of all things, do you know, it was gone. <laughs> it was gone. So R Removed or crashed? Or? Removed. There, there were videos of announcements from 2015, 16, 17. All kinds of things, but uh, that particular one was gone. So I find that very encouraging because I feel that it's an indication that they know they were doing something completely illegal because, of course, um, it violates um, several laws. We do have a problem that we don't have a lot of case law built up around uh, medical freedom, but there are, of course, important laws uh, protecting us, particularly in the Constitution, which you've discussed many times, as well as the um, the Civil Rights Act, as well as uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, all uh, prevents being excluded from work for uh, your beliefs and uh, pre prevents segregation according to uh, any reason of so, mm. so these things are illegal for those reasons, as well as many others, uh, besides the Nuremberg Code and so on. So, uh, it, they know it's illegal, and uh, sure enough, um, some people were ready. As soon as he announced it, they filed an injunction with the court. A few wonderful people, of all things, from Staten Island, uh, the only congresswoman and council member I'm aware of in the city that uh, has taken a stand with the restaurant owners who have been under mm -hmm. so much press. And they did file an injunction, but apparently that was overturned. So they're going to have to go from there. So, uh, but there are many groups and I have in them in my links, um, a link to this Medical Freedom Alliance of New York, uh, which you can people can visit, and they are doing ongoing protests. The important part is the ongoing uh, and events, and they meet every week at City Hall, and it is it is growing. So it's not it, like the numbers in Europe and in England and. Germany and uh, France, but it is growing, and that's the important part. Um, so, uh, but basically, uh, there is a lot to it because, uh, as of the day, now, I cannot go to any museums. Um, 
our events, uh, there are all kinds of details. Of, I love the museum, so it's particularly mm -hmm. difficult for me. <laughs> but uh, that's the least of my problems. I'm just can you can you travel on the subway without a passport? Oh yes. Uh, so so far, you know. Uh, we're still able to buy food uh, and we're still able to travel in subway um, but of course with uh, if things kept going in the direction they're going you could see that that might uh, might change so that's why we, we we must do our best to overturn it and i want to thank council member joseph borelli and congresswoman nicole maliotakis um, for their leadership in this uh, working for the people because actually all our other representatives in New York City, we know them and we love them. They've been done wonderful things. They're good people. And thanks God, they're not enemies, but they are in a complete and total oblivion when it comes to this subject. They don't seem to have done the most basic research you know, when, when all this started regarding the vaccine, all I did was go to the computer and look up what Pfizer themselves described about the vaccine. And mm -hmm. Moderna, I just looked it up and I read it. And there was just a little paragraph. And that was pretty much all I needed to know. Because uh, it explained, it called it, and I was very surprised at this, it called it BioNTech. Mm -hmm. Of course, I knew about biotechnology, I knew that that was how they create genetically modified food. So I I didn't at that point understand about nanotechnology, which has been developed in the past several years, along with graphene oxide technology developed in the past several years, along with the lipid nanoparticle uh, delivery system that also, all these things were not used because they were very they found to be very dangerous the mrna technology all was there but it wasn't being used because they did know it was very detrimental to people's health and cancer causing and so on so anyhow these very basic research seems to have escaped our uh, good public officials and they have not been able to to share anything but the party line on this particular subject so I do appreciate the ones that have not done it. However, I must tell you that in New York, we have many communities and we do have uh, a large section, a segment of people that are poor, in, especially in, uh, in Manhattan, we do, and in other boroughs. And um, those people, along with, we have a lot of immigrant communities, and they all, um, several of them, have escaped communist countries. So they, particularly Eastern European uh, immigrants, understand they're very concerned about what's going on. And some people in the Jewish, religious Jewish community, also very concerned. The poor people seem to understand what's going on better than anyone else. They, I, I, I've spoken with how how would you explain that? Well, it's just uh, they are not in a position, as I meant, like they, they've had the direct experience in recent times. Mm -hmm. You see, they're not living a comfortable life. They, they're keenly aware that freedom is, uh, is not 
easy to to maintain and that it's very valuable. They're keenly aware of that. But the poorer people are in a good position because they, well, some of our, our African-American community, they have learned about what has happened to the community historically, uh, the swine flu epidemic, and people have forgotten already that in 1970s and the um, HIV situation yes. in the 90s, if if people uh, have time to, to look at uh, that material and learn about what happened, then it's almost a remarkable parallels in every way to what's going on today but people do forget but these immigrant communities uh, remember they they didn't forget so uh, and the poorer people that suffered they they haven't forgotten so they 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 don't trust everything immediately they don't so they're in a position and the understanding I have encountered in these people is so heartwarming. They haven't done what I've done to get my understanding, but they seem to understand everything anyhow. And so it's really wonderful. Um, so uh, I, I did want to report that. Uh, so let me just say that um, in addition to all these great uh, human resources that we have, or the people, I don't want to say resources, but mm -hmm. human beings that we have here, uh, in, we also have this history in New York that is uh, is that, as, as Netta has mentioned, several of the battles of the original Revolutionary War occurred here. Not only that, but the first uh, efforts to build the new country, a lot of it was centered here. So all these civic institutions that we have, that was people's effort to build a country which would uplift the the, or the everyday person and help that person to be the most they could be in in an imperfect way, but as best they could. So at the time, so uh, there is a wonderful book I just want to mention called American Eden, and it's. Um, she tells the story of a man named David Hasek, who mm -hmm. was a doctor after the Revolutionary War. So basically, he describes how dedicated they were to forming these civic institutions. On that note, I must express my deep disappointment in all our museums and all of our cultural institutions who immediately adopted the exclusion of people based on the vaccine which we understand from many sources is, is a, a coercion effort, a coercion. Absolutely. So, and finally, uh, because those are our civic institutions, and that gets back to the clips that you played earlier that um, Kinthea uh, noted, um, that there is some kind of enormous sums of money clearly involved in that decision of these institutions as it is with the community the school boards and so forth so at this point we are in a very delicate situation in our country for so many reasons and a lot has occurred that people were not aware of and so yes jill so jill may, <laughs> may, may, may i just Going very quickly, very quickly, I want to just come in one question, and that is that we've just passed the 20th anniversary, I don't know if it's the correct word, but 
we marked 20 years after the event on September the 11th. Now, that must have been an event that changed the psychology of an entire city and obviously a negative way, but also maybe a positive way as well, because people came together to help one another. Um, do you, I, I was amazed to see that Biden has recently signed once again the renewal of the national emergency uh, in relation to that particular event 20 years down the line. And on the basis there's been so little um, real detective work done by the, uh, the officials into actually what caused this. Uh, it's amazing that the country still is technically on, on red alert because of this event. Do you, what, what sort of, what, what heartbeat do you feel from this, from, from your perspective, from being in New York itself? Oh, yes. Well, of course, uh, September 11th was a profound experience and um, it, it was extraordinary because for three months, I did not hear any laughter. Anywhere I went, I never heard laughter, not a single laugh. And the, the whole city truly was stunned and in deep, deep, deep grief. And I want to say that we feel so much for the people who lost their lives and all the people who lost their lives afterward in the years after, because it was one year and a half that we still smelled, we could not breathe clear air. We could not that, breathe. That's incredible. Yes, and, and the winds would blow at different times of the day. So for part of the day we could breathe and part of the day we could not. And so, in the neighborhood around that area, it was 24 hours a day. The cleanup was not done well at all. And no good measures that I'm aware of. People were offered air filters of some kind. But in terms of taking care of that outstanding problem in, in the richest country in the world was abysmal. And so our city was not able to uh, to be itself for quite some time, quite some time. And mm -hmm. people, of course, have suffered ill effects since then. And speaking of the ill effects, I didn't quite answer your question about the vaccine. And I, I can do that a bit. Well, I'm, I'm happy to go either direction. I'm, I'm, I'm just curious because I have many questions and not enough minutes to ask them. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with your answers and whichever way you feel you prefer to go. Okay. Well, I'd love to just mention that um, I have uh, experience, uh, according to some wonderful friends of mine uh, who, who are connected to Rudolf Steiner, they, he, he actually... Uh, speak spoke about this uh, that there would be a vaccine uh, in, uh, in the future. And this was in the, already in the early of 19, 1900s, 1930s. Said that there was um, going to be a vaccine, and uh, which would be involved in actually an ability to separate uh, uh, the connection one had in their body to their their soul. Mm. Uh, and Michio Kushi, uh, who um, 
it was the founder of macrobiotics, said also a certain thing that in the future uh, there would be, these people had special uh, abilities of, uh, can't get into right now, but this is how they got their information. And they um, spoke about that there would be a bifurcation of humanity at a certain point, that people who were happy with the idea of moving into a completely materialistic and controlled, technolo incredibly advanced technological system would be separating from those who wanted to retain their humanity. And so at this point, um, thanks God, the people, uh, I did lose several people at, the, at a certain point soon after um, the vaccine, including people I love dearly, people who were world treasures as far as I'm concerned, as well as just wonderful dear people. And it's been quite difficult. Um, but uh, among those who are still able to still uh, not suffering terrible ill consequences, I have, uh, they have it confided in me that they do feel somewhat adrift. And they, and they do not feel that they're able to connect something in their spirit is not able to connect uh, with uh, the things they used to connect to. So they're actually feeling mentally different since the vaccination. So that's yeah. a, that's a yeah. that's an insight we have yeah. not really spoken about with anybody about that before. Oh yes, mentally and 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 their heart feels different. There's their 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 soul feels different. So. Unfortunately, this technology can only succeed to a certain degree, and that's the saddest part, In because our souls, our beings are uh, what you might say, some people call quantum beings. So there will be always something that cannot be completely controlled, I believe. So it, it will um, create a lot of um, difficulty, I think, for people, uh, however long we can all make it through this. And I, I did want to mention that the Native American people feel that uh, we may be uh, coming to a, a, the end of a major cycle, a major, major ending period. And it may be quite profound. Um, um, it, and I did want to mention that uh, one thing we must, I think, consider is whether it, that what would we do? How would we live today? How would we live today if we knew that no matter what, um, things might be coming to an end as everything as we've known it might be coming to an end. What will happen on the other side of that, whether it's something beautiful or so, I don't know. But let's just stay with the fact that everything we know, if it was were to come to an end, how would we live today? And one woman from the Native American tradition, Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, and her book, uh, Gathering Moss. Uh, she she gave a beautiful talk at the Bronx Botanical Garden um, in about four years ago, and it's available on their website. And she spoke about this that uh, that from their perspective, uh, it's the time for uh, completing a circle and loving and caring for uh, the um, the earth and developing 
returning that love which we received when whenever this human journey first began. And um, finally, it's a time for us to, um, I believe, to develop ourselves, uh, our connections to um, whatever uh, connects us to uh, each other, to love, to to uh, valor. And uh, it's the time for that because our, we, our lives are much more than we may know, I believe, and uh, what we do really is important. And it will be part of this story, whatever this story is going to become. So I, I, and, um, we have a beautiful song from the Puerto Rican community that's in the city. And it says, um, Canta no llores porque cantando se, se alegran cielito lindo los corazones means um, sing, don't cry, um, because when we sing, uh, it uplifts the hearts of the people. Uh, little heaven, it calls the person he's singing to little heaven. So it's a beautiful um, song from our city. So I did want to leave you with that. I love it. I love it, Jill, the way you always bring us back to the heart. I mean, through all of this journey, through through all the things you've described that are really quite scary, you illuminate the space, the dwelling where you are, the the world that you live in. You're illuminating it with your your vibrant heart and your vision of unity and peace and love. And I really appreciate you for that. And I'm grateful you're in my life. What a, what a gift. What a gift. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't feel the uh, more. Uh, I couldn't have made it this far, uh, literally, truly, without your programs. And I, they have been so illuminating, as they say, illuminate, illumine the path beneath my feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's, it's been a light to my path. And, um, and it's enabled me to go forward. And um, I... I did want to say uh, that the last thing about New York, many people don't know. If you see the picture that I put on the page, I can explain it because I'm on a fire escape, which um, is cast iron. And it's many people don't know that many of the buildings of the city were built by the immigrants from Italy and other places. But um, they built things remarkably out of uh, there are still many buildings, sadly, they may be disappearing, but of, of natural, all natural materials, even our sidewalks are made of real stones, which is another thing which is wonderful about the city. But uh, the thing is that the first national architecture was Greek revival. And many of the buildings in the city are inspired by this Greek revival. And why Greek revival? Because the people of our early country recognized their, they were in the process of a great struggle for freedom, the Greeks, at the time that America was being formed. So in solidarity with the Greeks, and in order to give them inspiration to build the, the country they would like, they wanted to build, and to remember the value of whatever freedom they could understand at that time, they, the they built all many, many buildings in the city. Uh, 
uh, based upon Greek architecture. And that's the final link I included in, in the my links. It's to a group which uh, shows lectures on on the history of, of the city in many ways, but partic- also this um, architectural history is, is incredibly important and it inspires us every day. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Hmm. Little did I know what I would encounter when I <laughs> met you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Timothy, you got any closing words here? Well, I, I remember visiting New York many years ago. And one of the first things I saw I was very excited to see was the Statue of Liberty. And I think it's been a symbol of literally, as what it says on the can, liberty. And I hope it shall long continue to do so. It sounds like New York is waking up. It sounds like it's not accepting all of the mandates. And I wish them very well. And I hope it's one more city that uh, glows on the map as uh, carries its charisma and its character through this uh, COVID time, which will pass. Yes, and uh, thank you, Cynthia had mentioned she would love to hear a little of the Tarzan. It just happens that we can provide that for you if you'd like. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Can you imagine that reverberating? Unbelievable. Thank you. (laughs) Well, despite the uh, initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream social media, propaganda, to make your own independent research and to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power. You wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 75th edition is entitled Convenient Lies and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, together with Kintia. Offer a special thanks to our guest, Jill Benze. We wish you all a very positive week. I look forward to reconnecting with you on our next edition next Friday. Good night. Good night.